There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Spies and Lies, an espionage podcast delving into and analyzing acts of espionage throughout history, tracing the exploits of daring spies, covert operations, assassinations, hacking, secret organizations, and more. Co-hosted by me, Omri Rose, who spent his childhood living undercover thanks to his dear old dad and co-host Jason, a retired former spymaster of one of the top intelligence agencies in the world. And without further ado, our first episode... Sun Tzu and the Art of Spying. Nice way to stop. Go to the old masters. Master Sun said, Raising an army of a hundred thousand men and marching them three hundred miles drains the pockets of the common people and the public treasury to the daily sum of a thousand tales of silver. It causes commotion at home and abroad and sets countless men tramping the highways, exhausted. It keeps 700,000 families from their work. Two armies may confront each other for several years for a single decisive battle. It is callous to begrudge the expense of a hundred tales of silver for knowledge of the enemy's situation. Such a miser is no commander of men, no support to his lord, no master of victory. Prior information enables wise rulers and worthy generals to move and conquer, brings them success beyond that of the multitude. This information cannot be obtained from spirits. It cannot be deduced by analogy. It cannot be calculated by measurement. It can be obtained only from men, from those who know the enemy's disposition. Well... If you go back further into actually what he's saying, the connection between war, economics, and espionage is a link that is around for centuries. Forever. Forever. I found it fascinating that even in those days, the rulers were thinking of how much it's going to cost them to maintain a war if by paying a little bit more or a little bit less and to get information from the other side, they can actually save a hell of a lot. And I think that's the basic basics of most of the things we're seeing even today. What's fascinating about The Art of War, as it's titled, The Art of War, is how much Sun Tzu goes into detail about ways to avoid war or especially prolonged war 
and how war is the last of all resources and how you want to do everything in your power to win before you even begin the battle, you know, to get the resources and um, knowledge that you, you can obtain in order to defeat the enemy, ideally, even without fighting. In fact, there's a quote. To fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Now, he says that fairly early in The Art of War, not even in the espionage chapter, but of course, that has to do with espionage. And if you look at what he says, he regards spies and spies masters as an art. It absolutely As is. something to be admired, something you have to have, and something you have to cherish. For statecraft, yes. It's and therefore, important. it's not just something you do just by the way. If you don't take advantage of it, if you don't use it, then you're, he actually condemns you to being worthless. And it's amazing when you look a bit, look at, see when he says these things and how it's still relevant for these days. So, who is Sun Tzu and what is the art of war, or as we've called it, the art of spying, which is a specific, specific chapter that he puts in? Well, Sun Tzu's The Art of War is said to have been written around 500 BCE. It is one of the most widely read and distributed works worldwide. This is a book that has been studied by pretty much all of the greats throughout history, you could say. Napoleon certainly would have read it. Churchill was versed in it. Uh, West Point graduates are uh, required to read it. What's so fascinating about it is how relevant it is still today. And it's because it's not specific to the time period it was written. It talks about general ideas and general theories, somewhat in a uh, traditional Chinese Taoist kind of way in, in some, some ways. So Sun Tzu was actually not his uh, birth name. His birth name was Sun Wu, according to the tales. Sun Tzu was an honorific given to him, meaning Master Sun. So in Chinese name craft, actually, Sun would have been his family name and Wu would have been his first name. So Wu Sun, as we would have called him in the Western world. And that's relevant because actually there was a lot of questioning about if he was real or not. But fairly recently, I believe it was in the 80s, they found text written by someone else named Sun Bin, who is a descendant of Sun Wu. Uh, so they were able to connect that, and he also wrote on Warcraft. It's called The Art of War Number 2, uh, which we may talk about at a later episode, but we'll see. So was he real? Was he not? We're not going to delve into that. There's enough information there to say that he was, but if he wasn't, the arguments are that he was an amalgamation of different uh, writers over the years, kind of like Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey, you could say. Sun Tzu, if he was real, they say was an active general and strategist during the Warring States period of the late 6th century BCE. Wu, incidentally, refers to the ancient Chinese virtue of martial prowess and posthumously was awarded to a lot of uh, different emperors. You know, it's like a, an honorific, like the great or the brilliant or something that we have in the Western world. So you could say someone was Emperor Wu, you know, who was the marshal or different things like that. So it's quite interesting to wonder, you know, was this a chicken and egg situation? I mean, someone smarter than I can figure that out. It's a beautifully poetic book. No pictures? 
No pictures. No not, pictures. Not a picture book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can finish the whole book in an hour. It's very applicable to, to all different circumstances and walks of life. Uh, not just war, but also to leading a, a good life, you yourself, to business and statecraft, which is also why it's it's read yes. um, by modern business people throughout. It. Even the movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko talks about um, the art of war. And I actually read this book many, many years ago, found some things in there that were very brilliant and, and profound for my own growth. So I recommend the read, uh, definitely. A little story just to give us a perspective on Sun Tzu himself, written by the famous historian Sima Kwan, that before hiring Sun Tzu, the King of Wu tested him by commanding him to train a harem of 180 concubines into soldiers. So Sun Tzu divided them into two companies, and he appointed the two most favored concubines of the king as company commanders. Ordering the companies to face right, they all promptly began to giggle. In response, Sun Tzu said that the general, in this case himself, was responsible for ensuring soldiers understood the commands given to them. So, he repeated the commands. Face right. And again, the concubines giggled. Sun Tzu then ordered the execution of the two favored concubines, much to the king's protests. Sun Tzu explaining that if the general's soldiers understood their command, but did not obey, it was the fault of the officers. So he had repeated the command, so it was clear, so it wasn't his fault anymore. Sun Tzu also said that once a general was appointed, it was his duty to carry out his mission, even if the king protested. After both concubines were killed, new officers were chosen to replace them, and both companies afterwards were well aware of the cost of frivolity, performing their maneuvers flawlessly. This was a harsher time, obviously, but it just shows the uh, ingenuity that Sun Tzu had. He didn't like porcupines? Porcupines? Yes, he didn't like porcupines. <laughs> they were prickly. They were prickly? <laughs> prickly kind. Prickly, prickly, prickly kind. The beginning dramatization that I read was from the opening of the chapter on espionage. He follows this with the following. There are five sorts of spies. Local, internal, double, dead, and live. When these five sorts of espionage are in operation, no one knows the way of it. It is called the mysterious scheme, the Lord's treasure. And what the mysterious scheme, the Lord's treasure, what they're meaning by that is, they're being poetic, like a beautiful chain, and it's the most treasured thing for the Lord. As in, when all five of these spies are operating, it is invaluable to the Lord. Well, we have to remember the, the time. And as we're saying, 500 BC, we're looking at a period where certain technologies obviously were not available. Passing on messages was in a certain way. The people that you were using had a different situation to them from the point of view of where they're coming from, from the point of view of closeness to the leadership or not leadership, uh, being people from a high ranking or not high ranking people or different classes. So you have to look at it from the point of view of, of the time period of the time period and understanding of what material they had to get the information it wasn't like okay we can put uh, electronic devices or we can use computers or tap into telephones so everything was dealing with one thing and that is the human source and dividing it into different kind of sources and different intelligence you can get from different ones. So this is what he's looking at. So I would say, Sun Tzu says there's five sorts of spies. It seems to me like you're saying the sixth, at least sixth, 
maybe there's more sort of spy that today would be added to this list would be the technological spy. No, it'd be even much more. Because there's, there's a lot of other ways of, of spying and understanding. But certainly a technological type spy would well, be... We have to look at it as we're, concent- we're concentrating on that, that period of time. I think we have to look at it from his eyes that this, this is how he defines the different human sources that you have. Today you have many more. You have what you call SIGINT, you have ALINT, you have VISINT, you have a lot of other ways of intelligence that we're not going to discuss in this uh, chapter, but on this case we're talking about the bread and butter, the human source. Back to basics. Yes. The personal touch. The personal touch and the the craft of the individual. You have often told me throughout my uh, childhood and adulthood um, words that are very wise that have stuck with me. Thank you. And that uh, everything is personal. Yes. Everything in life is personal. Yes. Everything. Yes. From uh, interacting with someone in a restaurant to checking into a flight to... Everything. Everything. Yes, but... This is personal, personal. This is personal, personal. This is something different. This is, it's very interesting the way he, he, he looks at it, at the different people. Let's say when you go into it, you say, what's the difference between the first one? That's the local. The local. And the second one is. Which is the internal. Internal. Is it the same kind of person? Local will be, as, as it's written there. Local spies come from among our enemies' fellow countrymen. Internal spies from among our enemies' officials. Okay, so he's saying one is knowing from the people, the common people, and one is from the people from the decision-maker. Right. So basically he is already saying to us, you need both. You need to know what's going on on the ground. Mm-hmm. You need to know what the people are thinking. But the most important, you want to get closer to the decision-maker. Right. And getting to the decision-maker is your most important asset, and that's what you need. And that's what you're always looking for in when you're doing espionage. So taking in a more modern context or Western context, local spies in medieval England might be, you know, you have the peasant in the, the Lord's thing or the servant in the Lord's castle. Internal spies might be a knight or an official, something like that. The first one will tell you, you know, you get to hear about what's the mood of the people? What's the scenery? Are they happy or not happy with their, with their leader? How is the land situation? What is going on? What the crops are like? Has it been a good year? Internal information about who's who, because you have to start from somewhere, because that's you have to start from scratch. So you start from out inwards. So first of all, to go to a place, you want to know what's going on here. You want to have basic coverage, we call it. First of all, you want basic coverage, to know what's going on, to start off. Okay, who makes a decision? Who is the leader? Who is the chief? Who is the guy that speaks to the to the commander. Where does the commander live? Who was his family? You need that information to start off with. So that is first that's his first ingredient. Then the second ingredient, okay, let's get closer to the people who make the decisions. That's where he comes into the second stage of the intelligence. And that's what he's looking for. But you can't do it without the first one. And it's all the time gone goes into the other. It was interesting because I was about to say it's interesting the order he puts the five spies in because I think it's also that he puts them in order of maybe what's easier to attain or not necessarily more valuable, but difficulty in operating them, potentially. So a local spy from the peasants, there's more peasants, let's say. There's more 
people that you could get to and maybe they're easier to get to the internal harder to get to that you know the upper crust of society double agents of course requires more difficult skill dead which we'll get to later is very very interesting the dead dead spies that he talks about and live which is the james bond kind of super spy which uh also very fascinating so double spies from among our enemies own spies it's knowing that the enemy is doing the same thing to you this is the first time you're hearing that wait a minute we're not the only one in this game. So actually, we have to build up a situation or, or, or a capability to understand what the enemy knows about us, not only what we know about the enemy, and find out the people who are going to tell him about us. And then do we just kill them, execute them, or maybe we can have flip a take them. advantage of we can it. flip them. Now, that's what he's saying, the double agent. That means he's taking someone who is one of us, mm-hmm. who has been paid or bribed or blackmailed or whatever to give information about our situation. And he realizes that this is happening. So even in the old days, these things were happening all the time. You would pay to get information. And he's actually saying it even in the beginning that the best way to get information is to spend money on it. Not to blackmail, not to uh, harass, not to mm. kill, but so actually... carrot, y- not stick. Yes. To find a way to get the person to cooperate, co- collaborate with you in a b- better way. So a double agent is someone, in his case, it could be a double agent in, in a different way, in his case is someone who you know now that works for the other side, you caught him, and he is now deliberately understanding that he has to give other information. Or you know what information he's, he's feeding the enemy. So then you can adjust it. Then you can adjust it or change it right. or go act to, a certain way. Do something if you know different. The enemy's going to know something. If he knows where you're going to go, maybe you shouldn't go there. Exactly. Exactly. They say only double agent, but of course today we know there are triple agents and there are all sorts of things do you, i mean it's would be ridiculous to assume that that didn't happen back then as well right look in today's world when you have a lot of agencies the amount of information you want is very very specific if it's about nuclear or if it's about terrorism but let's take terrorism if you want to know again what's going on in isis or al-qaeda then you want to know what the leadership is up to now many countries or many agencies want to do it so there'll be a many agencies or many groups trying to get hold of these people. So there might be a lot of people working maybe together or on the same agent. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that one doesn't know about the other? Maybe. But you ask if there's more than double? Yes. But in those days, I think it was more simple simple because it was one against the other. It was one clan against another, one tribe against another tribe, and not three, four tribes fighting. We think we invented everything, but actually we haven't. If you look, you know, we go back to those days. And you see that some of the stuff that they did, we're doing the same. It's, we, it's nothing new under the sun. Right. Dead spies are those for whom we deliberately create false information, they then pass it on to the enemy. Well, here again, you have a scenario where you find out that someone is spying on you. Now, you can make him a double agent, but the double agent can then be found out that he's a double agent, and then you've not 
succeeded in what you wanted to do. Or he might betray you and tell his other side that actually he's been caught or compromised. Yeah. But here they're taking the art of running agents or espionage to a different level. They're saying, aha, yes, I know this guy wants information. I know he's looking for information. He's one of us because we're not talking about something else. He is betraying us. We don't have to necessarily kill him because it says dead agents. You think, oh, it's dead. No, let's use him and feed him false information. He will not know it's false information. And he will then pass this information to his masters. And he cannot be compromised. He's not compromised. That means his masters, even if he goes on a polygraph test that today, of course, is available, not in those days, he'll be telling the truth. Yes, this is what I heard. This is the document I found. This is what this guy told me. So this is in a better scenario from the point of view of running an agent. Of course, you never know what he really says and what he really understands and what kind of information he sends back, unless you have someone on the other side who tells you that that is the situation. So it's a game. Again, everything is personal and everything is a game. In the commentaries for for that particular section, they they talk about um, an incident that there was a diplomat who was sent to a kingdom and he was told that they were suing for peace and that the kingdom was like, okay, there's going to be peace and all that. And then that kingdom was attacked. And of course, that diplomat still at that kingdom was then killed. So he's a dead agent because the attacking kingdom sent him to pretend that they were going for peace, which the other kingdom then thought it was going to be. And then, of course, when that didn't happen, off with his head. Off with his head. Off with his head. Well, not his fingers. Dead, <laughs> dead agent, you could say that after they found out that the information he gave was wrong. He might be kaput. Yes, they don't. He might be swimming with the fishes. Well, or if there's a other big mammals in the water that like to swim and eat human flesh, then that's where they go. It wasn't 100 lashes on the wrist with a wet noodle? In China it might have been, but I'm not sure about that. Um, again, using the word dead is after the situation has been revealed Correct. that the information he passed was false or brought or led them, led them to a situation. I seem to recall, speaking of dead spies, that actually very dead spies in this sense that... I believe it was in World War II where false information was planted on dead bodies for the enemy to find, like Correct. false plans of attack. Yes. And then the enemy would find them on like dead officers' bodies and think, aha, yes. we have... Correct. Yeah. But that's a different... That's just dead, using the word dead. This is something different. Mm-hmm. We, will, we will discuss that in a different episode because okay. that's fascinating about the whole episode of, of how you build a case to make the other side think that they have information that's actually true. So feeding false information. Feeding false information. So you're saying that feeding false information specifically is different than the dead spy concept. Yes, because here you're using... They're they're interrelated, but Yes, because here you're using someone that you found out that Uh is giving information to the other side and is is alive, is alive, is an agent of the other side, and you're feeding him wrong information. information. Or you yourself are sending someone with information that is false, sacrificing them out, like with this diplomat. Yeah, okay. But in this case, we're talking about someone who is feeding wrong information, but he does not know it. So the concept of dead spies is wrong yes. information to someone who believes it's correct. Wrong, but the wrong information is not because he doesn't understand. It's, it's because he's been given this information. Been given and believes it's yes. true. Yes. So if it's gonna, there's going to be attack tomorrow, no, it's going to happen today. Right. Live spies, the next and final one. 
are those who return with information. Yes. Now this is, if you go to Japan, this would be someone like a ninja, the historic ninja, which we'll do an episode about ninjas. Um, we will? Yeah, oh yeah, we'll do an episode on ninjas. It's Come not on. scary? That was very scary. Okay. You know, people who sneak in, maybe get the information, get out. Or it could be people who um, get in and pretend to be someone and then get out. Or it could be kind of like the James Bond. So the live spies are the people who are going in and out, back and forth. Is that right? Well, if you look at the five categories... The first local. The first one is local. That means it's someone from the peasants. The, the lower not class. a local. It's if you look at it from there, it's their side. Someone local. Right. Okay. And then the internal. The internal is their side, but someone is higher higher ranking in the inner circle. Okay. So the, again, it's they're talking about the enemies in the circle. In the circle. Double agent. The double agent is someone that of yours mm-hmm. that's working against you in your country. Mm-hmm. Okay. The fourth one, is the dead. The dead again is someone that the enemy is sending to you. That's the one of your guys that you're feeding him false information. The fifth one is one of your guys who you are sending to the other side, mm-hmm. who is able to get the information because you trust him a hundred percent. He's not part of the other side. You know he's not being double agent. He's not a dead agent for the other side. And is able to come back and give you the real information. That means you want a James Bond character? Okay. A Ellie Coyne character? Someone who is yours, part of your flesh and blood. Someone who you send to the other side and comes back with information. Right. Now, he's saying that that is the best. Why is it the best? Because actually you're able to trust him more than any one of the others you know what unless he's become a double agent but then he's a double agent because double agents are live spies from the the other side right but you hope that this is not the case correct so in in this case if you look at it you have the 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 one the last one is the only one that actually from your side is a professional spy right he is someone you train to do be a spy. Right. All the other things you're looking at are informants. Informants or people who are giving you information, Plants. but someone has to yeah. run them. Someone right. has to deal with them. Someone has to meet them. Someone has to do things with them. Here you have someone who's an individual. The professional. Who's a professional. So that's why it's that's why he puts it in a different level. In his and in your in the it's book. The fifth one. The fifth one. Tiered. It's like it goes yes, up to that yes. one. Yes, he says yeah. this is the best you want. This right. is someone who can sit next to the leader, who the, the other side does not know is actually working for you, mm-hmm. and he comes back with information, and you know it's the right information. Right. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. He will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. And how do you know when or when not to fight? With information, of course. O divine art of subtlety and secrecy, through you we learn to be invisible, through you inaudible, and hence we can hold the enemy's fate in our hands. That's from earlier in The Art of War. He holds uh, subtlety and uh, covert operations quite high. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. What I like about what he's saying is that he says, look, I need a budget for this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I need money. Yeah. I need, and it's worthwhile spending it. Well, that's in the beginning. He talks, you know, like it costs so much to raise armies and march them and this and the cost of the land and this and that. He talks about this throughout the whole book, you know. Yeah, I know. Be quick, be fast. It costs this much to raise an army. Be careful about your supply limits. And then the espionage chapter, thousands per day for the army or a hundred tails of silver for knowledge. Exactly. What's cheaper? I would say spend more money on on your agents. Give more money to the intelligence organization. Are you looking for a raise? (laughs) It's okay. I'm not, I'm satisfied. You're retired. I, it's fine. <laughs> it's nice, but they could always do with some more money. More what I'm saying is that. So wait, you're telling me that agencies don't have like the James Bond Q, kind of like funky gadgets and cars to blow up and everything. Do you want the truth? Well, they do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say any. I don't know. What would I know about this? I remember the, the we watched this one movie once about spy. I don't remember which one. And there was a scene, it might have been a James Bond thing, where he has to come back with, like, receipts or something. And you were like, that's the most accurate part of any spy movie I've ever seen yet. Because yes. you need receipts for everything. Of course. Without that, it all comes from your pocket. No one, <laughs> no, no good spy wants to take money out of his pocket right. to pay for, for, for any of this sort of stuff. But, no, what's interesting, again, when you look at it, when it was written, the emphasis on the human side of things about... The leader understanding that he will not win a war if his people are not happy and they're starving or they are in a situation where they feel that the leader is taking them into a, an area where they don't want to be, that it's going to drain them. If it's from people, if it's from families, if it's from, from you know, the, he was talking about when you take the people away from the crops point of view and the fields, there'll be less economy. It will suffer and it will go against the leader. Therefore... Again, paying, giving some money. It helps. It helps. Now, he doesn't say how much to pay. That depends on who you're dealing with. But he understands as well, even in those days, that giving money or paying money is very useful. In the whole army, none should be closer to the commander than his spies. None more highly rewarded, none more confidentially treated. Without wisdom, it is impossible to employ spies. Without humanity and justice, it is impossible to employ spies. Without subtlety and ingenuity, it is impossible to ascertain the truth 
of their reports. Subtlety of subtleties, spies have innumerable uses. I have to agree. <laughs> Nothing to add then. I just perfectly said. <laughs> well, he is the master, isn't he? That's why you can't can't say anything about that. But it's true that he. It's interesting that he um, he mentions employing spies, right? Wisdom, humanity, and justice. You have to know who to pick. Of course, and that requires great skill. But also, he says, and if if you look at again the context of the time, that he will put spirits and other issues of mathematics or anything that you would think that might bring you to the answer. And he's saying no. He's actually saying this is a different profession. It's in a different sphere. It's a different situation. You can't go to your magical guys who will tell you uh, to a holy goat and if it gives you black milk or, or, mm-hmm. or something, then it means one thing. Or reading a coffee, and if the coffee maker says, it's ah, it's a good day to do, go out and fight your enemy, he doesn't want that kind of stuff. This information cannot be obtained from spirits. It cannot be deduced by analogy. It cannot be calculated by measurement. Only from men. Exactly. And those men you have to pick with wisdom, humanity, and justice. Otherwise, you're not going to pick the right guys. Right. He really likes his spies. He, he saves this chapter by, to the end of the book, by the way, as well. So yes. perhaps he's saving the best for last. Or, again, it's that tiered thing. Sure, there's all this, there's all that, and all this, and all this, but, but spies. Spies, guys. Spies, guys? Spies, guys. <laughs> That's the way to do it. If confidential information is prematurely divulged, both spy and recipient must be put to death. In striking an enemy, in attacking a city, in killing an individual... It is necessary to know beforehand the names of the general and of his attendees, his aides, his doorkeepers, his bodyguards. Our spies must be instructed to discover all of these in detail. Well, it's not like there was a, a phone book those days and you can pick it up and, or, or have a list of all the uh, people in the country and get hold of it. You had to actually go and have someone to tell you what's going on. So, again, it comes down to basic coverage. We talked about how we start the whole to find out what's going on on the other side. You don't need 100 people close to the leader to tell you what's going on. But you do need at least one or two good ones. But to have good coverage, especially in those days, you had to have a lot of informants who tell you what's going on. And he said, who? And to verify. Because one yes. person might say one thing and the other person, you have to have yes. multiple sources. And it's different areas, you have to remember, it's different terrains, it's different families, it's different cultures, sometimes mm-hmm. it's different values, different religions, maybe sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you have to have this information. So he's not saying, oh, we only have to have one thing, we have to have everything. Because you never know what's going to come in handy as well. Yes. Because everything is personal. Everything is always personal. <laughs> Look at the context of five, 500 BC. Sometimes if you can recruit the head of a certain family or a certain clan, you get the whole clan working for you. But if you hurt the wrong clan or a clan that's connected to the leader, then you're going to have the whole clan going against you. So you really want to know who you're facing before you, you start something. If you're going to kill someone who's married to the daughter of the leader or someone, you're going to get, if you, even if you don't want to, you're going to get the, another clan facing you because you made the wrong decision. So it's very important to understand all these things. And he understood that as well. Again, what, I'm, what I like about, when you look at it now, what, you, what I like about it is the human side of it. Not only the human from the point of view of, of human running agents, but the humanity 
of understanding human, I would say, human behavior, how people behave and react to certain things. Yeah. And we think it's a modern thing, but think about it when it was written and said. Yeah. I mean, this we're talking about before modern history from our point of view. You know, it's, it's surprising that we have this written in the way it is. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so specific about what he expects to happen. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is fascinating. Adding to that, he says in a different section, We cannot enter into alliance with the neighboring provinces until we are acquainted with their designs. We are not fit to lead an army on the march unless we are familiar with the face of the country, its mountains and forests, its pitfalls and precipices, its marshes and swamps. We shall be unable to turn natural advantages to account unless we make use of local guides. Ask Napoleon what he thought about marching into Russia in winter. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. So did he learn from it? Maybe he thought he could. But again, it just shows you that it comes down to the basics. You have to know know what's going on. You have to know what's going on. You have to understand. You talked about the different tribes and things, and it was interesting because, you know, you have to really know who you're dealing with. And if you make an enemy of one person, you make an enemy with the whole tribe and the opposite of if you make alliances with one. Very interesting. Who holds a grudge? Who doesn't, you know? You need the spies. And what local grudges exist in the territory to take advantage of as well. Yes. I mean, in, in Afghanistan, for instance, it's famous for being uh, unconquerable. And it's because you have all these different tribes that have their own inner grudges and politics and things within them. And so you can't just do a blanket agreement with one tribe, let's say, that think will apply to everything. Because, no, there's all these inner rivalries and things, right? Yes, you have to be careful when you talk about the Taliban, they might come on onto your doorstep, so you have to be careful. But yes, yeah. unless you want to have everybody as an, your enemy, then it's easier. Yeah, anyone Blank, have blanket enemy bombing is unfinished. Yep. Enemy spies come to spy on us, must be sought out, bribed, won over, well accommodated. Then they can be employed as double agents. From the double agent, we discover local and internal spies. From the double agent, we learn how best to convey misinformation to the enemy. From the double agent, we know how and when to use live spies. What he's saying here is the beginning of what you would say internal security service and vetting. How do you do it? What's going on about it? Why is it so important? And what else is saying? What you think you can do to someone else, someone else can do to you. So if you want to be one step ahead, you have to do something. He says, enemy spies come to us. We have to win them over, bribe them, well accommodate them. Again, this is not the stick. This is the carrot. Pay them, treat them well. It's a good profession. You get caught, you get paid. (laughs) It's not bad, right? Right. You say, so what's going to happen to me? They'll, They'll pay me as well. I'll get double. So actually, you're encouraging people to be double agents. If the word goes around that every time I catch someone, I don't execute him, but actually they'll pay me then actually I'm allowing myself to have more and more people come and join me. On the other hand, allowing the other side to, to maybe feel, take advantage, take of advantage. and send false information. Maybe. So you always, it's a game, one against the other. It's a mind game. It, it's always fascinating to me when you look at the Cold War period, how many double agents and internal spies there were on both sides, different people playing different games. It's, it's fascinating. Well, you had to. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I suppose, as you said, you know, if you reward them, you're more likely to gain people's trust and for them to do different things. Just going back to a thing that we said earlier, if confidential information is prematurely divulged, both spy and recipient must be put to death. So he also says that mere passages before rewarding things, but it's different because if confidential information is prematurely divulged, that's if your plans foiled, you know, the information gets out too quickly, the spy and the recipient, you can't let this out. So that it's not that he's only carrot, no stick. He knows when to use the stick when he needs to. And that goes back to the first story that I said about him, the famous story with the concubines. Yes. This is a life and death situation. You use the tools at hand. You use the tools wisely. But if you need to, you use the tools harshly. Only the enlightened ruler, the worthy general, can use the highest intelligence for spying, thereby achieving great success. Spies are a key element in warfare. On them depends an army's every move. And that's how the book ends. That's how Sun Tzu's Art of War ends. Again, I'll read this section one more time. Only the enlightened ruler, the worthy general, can use the highest intelligence for spying, thereby achieving great success. Spies are a key element in warfare. On them depends an army's every move. What it's saying is a leader has to know as well that the information he gets is not always what he wants to hear, but he has to react and respond to it correctly. And he wants to encourage the truth by his agencies and by his spies so that he makes the right decision. Because if he gets false information and false ideas that are put into him, he will make the wrong decision. And that's why it's very dangerous as well. If you bring information that you feel is what the leader wants to hear, instead of what the reality of the situation is. You know, he says that the fate of an army or a general, you know, but it's also the fate of a nation. It's the fate of everything in life. Yes. Information. Yes. Knowledge is power. You know, that's essentially we're boiling this down to a phrase. Knowledge is power. If you know your enemy, if you know yourself, as we said earlier from a previous section in the book, you have all the tools to succeed. If you charge in blindly, you're likely to fail. But knowledge, subtlety, and how do you obtain that knowledge? Through spies and espionage. And a good budget. And a good budget. That's the basic. Conceal your dispositions, and you will be safe from the prying of the subtlest spies, from the machinations of the wisest brains. He's aware that the enemy is doing just the same. Gotta be smart. Gotta be fast. Gotta be on your toes. Gotta be ready. As we bring our episode to a close, I will leave you with a final thought. We just had a passage from the end of The Art of War. Well, we're going to go all the way to the beginning. The first section of The Art of War talks about this, the art of subtlety and deception. The way of war is a way of deception. When able, feign inability. When deploying troops, appear not to be. When near, appear far. When far, appear near, lure with bait, strike with chaos. If the enemy is full, be prepared. If strong, avoid him. If he is angry, disconcert him. If he is weak, stir him to pride. If he is relaxed, harry him. If his men are harmonious, split them. Attack 
where he is unprepared, appear where you are unexpected. This is victory in warfare. It cannot be divulged in advance. Victory belongs to the side that scores most in the temple calculations before battle. Defeat belongs to the side that scores least in the temple calculations before battle. Most spells victory, least spells defeat. None, surer defeat. I see it in this way, and the outcome is apparent. This was Spies and Lies, with Sun Tzu's The Art of War, The Art of Spying. Thanks for listening, and remember, it's all personal. Spies and Lies is a Grumpy Golem production, with original scoring and mastering by Julian Dussault. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to share with your friends and leave a comment or review wherever you listen from. If you have any questions or subjects you'd like for my father and I to cover, drop us a message, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Special thanks to The Art of War and Sun Tzu for giving us that all-too-great foundation to build from. Until next time.